As the light of love shines on our planet, so too does the light of truth need to shine from our hearts. No longer can we take that which we have been taught for granted. No longer can we take all that we think we know at face value. This will challenge us to our very core. For who are we if we are not everything that we have always believed ourselves to be? Good question. But who we are is so much more than we have ever been allowed to even imagine we could be. Who we are is so much more than we could ever even dream ourselves to be. Who we are is pure magic. To understand this magic, we must first understand all that has been manipulated in this world. We have already covered the mass manipulation of our systems and our societal structures, but now we must start to understand the mass manipulation of divine science and divine mathematics. It will shock many to learn that the spiritual systems that we are attuned to are, in fact, also manipulations of those that would keep us disconnected from our true power. As we connect our bodies and souls to that which we think is truth, often we are allowing our energies to be harvested by those that know exactly how the energies of the universe work. This will not be something that is easy to hear, especially for those that believe themselves to be awoken and on a spiritual path. But part of this great awakening is to have the courage to challenge everything that we know and believe in order to allow ourselves to become everything that we truly are. In this podcast, we will look at the science behind spirituality and the science behind this ascension process. Science in its truest form, rather than the manipulated science of our current understanding. It is through the blending together of this true science, divine science if you will, with the metaphysics of the universe, that we shall finally start to be able to find all of the answers that man has been on an eternal search for. The truth is now ready to be seen. The universe is ready to be laid bare, to allow mankind to witness all of its magnificence and all of its beauty. To empower us to no longer bend to the will of others, but to know how to bend the universe to the will of the collective for the good of mankind. To teach mankind all of the secrets of how to stand firmly in the incredible power that we are, and to know how to use our natural birthright of magic in its purest form, instead of the dark manipulation of that magic that has been seen on our planet. When we open our mind to magic, we open to all that is real and true and all that we can be and create. When we open our mind to magic, we open to the true core of who we are and from whence we came. When we open our mind to magic, we open our mind to love. My guest today is Alex Mill, a mindful intimacy catalyst for filmmakers, performers and creatives in the entertainment industry. Merging 10 years of storytelling experience as a filmmaker, with sexual and spiritual studies of Buddhist Qigong, theta healing, Egyptian, Chinese and Indian tantric practices and a dash of quantum physics, Alex has a unique way of guiding her clients through a complete transformation. She has helped people all around the world to identify their self-sabotaging and destructive personal narrative and turn it into a life story that they're grateful to experience and proud to share. So welcome to the Spirit of Life in Ibiza podcast, Alex. That's quite the resume. Thank you so much. That was such a beautiful introduction. As I was listening to it, I realized how big 
this is, that it's been part of my personal journey, but the more I'm sharing, the more I realize the weight of this knowledge that it really needs to be a freely accessible, available knowledge base that is out there for all of us. It's pretty huge. And, and I have to say, taking on this podcast series has, has definitely had its it's challenges. There's been a lot of work to to get through and, and, and our own personal challenges as well with uh, getting some of this really huge information out there. But it is information that that needs to be seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so nice to have you on the show. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing you know, how this conversation unfolds. Um, and I, I said in the channeled introduction there that, you know, I think some of this information is going is going to really shock people, like, especially those that are walking a a spiritual path. And, and, and I just want to say that th this is a learning curve for me too. Um, I mean, I've been aware of the infiltration of spirituality for some time, but I haven't really looked too closely at it until now. I mean, re religion aside, I've, I've always had a really strong call to see the corruption and, and infiltration in, in that, um, like ever since I was a kid. But since lockdown, and, and as we go full steam ahead into this ascension process, I'm actually, I'm being asked to look more closely at the infiltration across all spiritual paths. And then as if by magic, you came into my life, Alex. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, we haven't actually had the pleasure of meeting in person yet, although we've had a few long and very interesting conversations on the phone. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting you properly and giving you a big hug once I get back to my Ibiza. Um, but before we get into, you know, what we mean by this infiltration, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about you first, shall we, Alex? I mean, you've gone from filmmaker to spiritual scientist, as I like to call you. So how did that happen? Spiritual scientist is a good word for it. So I have a 10-year background in filmmaking and photography. I went into this industry for the love of storytelling in my personal view, we human beings have a narrative-based relationship with ourselves. The way we talk to ourselves about ourselves is a story. We create a role that we embody, and based on that role, we write scripts for ourselves. We cast ourselves as the star, the main character of that story. And we start looking at the entire world with those eyes, with that filter, so that if we're placing ourselves in the position of a victim, all of a sudden, everybody starts looking like a perpetrator. If we are placing ourselves as a successful person, as a happy person, as a well-connected person, then everybody just by cognitive bias, will start to look like a contributor to that role that we've assigned to ourselves. And then um, I've spent seven years in London as an assistant director in um, mostly commercials. I've worked on indie films, studio films, music videos. I've done a little bit of everything just because I was interested in different systems. And... Um, about two years ago, I, um, I went on a very deep spiritual discovery for myself and I sidestepped from the industry for my own personal healing, for my own personal journey. 
And then that led me down a path where now I'm calling myself a mindful intimacy catalyst because what I'm doing is a, a mixture of narrative-based coaching and um, mindfulness, mind-body-spirit practices. And I'm really merging the two sides of me. Now I'm bringing this knowledge back to the filmmaking community. And especially with this current climate right now, it's very, very apparent to me how timely this is because um, the industry have been founded upon very dark, very serious forces. So what I call intimacy is a, an authentic and honest and um, innocent, like very purely innocent relationship with the self. And through that relationship with the self, we are then capable of building relationships with everyone and everything around us that are based on something much more pure than uh, what Hollywood, the filmmaking industry, the storytelling and the story selling industry is based upon. So there's, there's been a long journey for me to realize that the, the industry that I fell in love with, the career path that I wanted to have for myself had its pitfalls. And then the deeper I went into spirituality, the more I realized that there is no real difference between spirituality and science. They are building each other. They are catching up with each other. They are enhancing each other. And I'm very, very interested in the left brain, right brain, feminine, masculine approach of having vocabularies, different languages for the same knowledge. And the more I started looking into knowledge, information from both sides, from the spiritual and from the scientific side, the more I started to realize that the same way that um, our storytelling industry has been very, very cleverly constructed, our spiritual world, our scientific world has been incredibly cleverly corrupted hijack so that we are believing in a reality that we want to believe in, which is way less than what we were originally designed for. Thank you, Alex. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's really great that you're looking at, you mentioned there were two different languages there of spirituality and science, because they're almost pitted against each other. You know, if you're, if you're scientific, you tend to not believe in the spiritual side. And I know someone who's more on the spiritual side, I actually struggle a little bit with some of the science. So it's really great, um, you know, when people are bringing these two things together, because, you know, I've always kind of said it's only when spirituality and science like come together that we'll start to have all of the answers and potentially all of the cures. But yeah, I mean, I guess as, as a filmmaker, um, you got to see firsthand how certain roles are conveyed to us through movies, which, which then become the narrative of our understanding and conditioning, which you've just kind of touched upon there. Um, I mean, we're, we're told what a hero looks like. We're, we're told through movies and TV and songs that 
that we're not whole unless we're in a relationship and or that we absolutely cannot live without that person uh and that to be in love you know we must we must put the other person first even even when it's to the detriment of our own soul i mean jerry maguire you you complete me is kind of springing to mind here but uh, you also mentioned the victim and victimizer roles there, there as well. And we actually, we mentioned that in episode one of this series as being one of the cabal strategies. Um, so, I mean, could you maybe talk a little bit, um, a little to, a little bit to that about how you see, how you see that as a control structure, if you like, as we, as we get programmed through the programs that come through our tell lie vision? If I want to use harsh words, then, um, how I see the current storytelling and filmmaking industry is that it's a pretty face, a very attractive facade for thousands of years of institutionalized manipulation. And um, because we've grown up with figures and actors and characters that were dear to our hearts, that were catering to our deepest desires and um, showing us a sense of love, a sense of belonging. They were taking us to extreme worlds that we've always wanted to explore. They were giving us emotions, heightened emotions. We have such a strong bond with the industry, with films, with stories, with music, that it's really tough to see the truth that the forces that have set up this industry, that are writing the stories, that are commissioning the stories, the, the institutions that are funding movies, the individuals that are having their hands in script development and green lighting scripts, the individuals who are running movie studios, they are plugged in to a system that uh, is based on a false source of power, based on a vampiric system of using other entities' energies to maintain themselves. It's a very selfish energy system. And the practices that have been developed around this force around this system, they are inhumane beyond belief. The, the rituals that um, these individuals are celebrating as their, their force, as their source of power, are all based on physical, psychological, sexual torture of humans and animals. And um, it's incredibly tough to imagine 
that for people to achieve a certain level of success, a certain level of fame, a certain level of power in the entertainment industry, in the film industry, in the storytelling industry, you have to go through initiations. Otherwise, you wouldn't be allowed to be in those power positions. And um, the role models that we have, the, um, the people who have business empires within the entertainment industry, heads of studios, beloved characters, actors, performers, they have gone through incredibly inhumane initiations and they are practicing shockingly violent practices for them to be plugged into that source of power that they believe is the most powerful source in the universe. And um, if we're taking out all the judgment from that alternative system, then probably the nicest word for it is an anti-Christic system. And um, I'm not talking about the biblical antichrist. For me, Christic or Christic system just means a number system, a mathematical code, a DNA template on which human beings, this planet, this star system, this time matrix is running on. And the anti-Christic system is simply the reversal, the mathematical number reversal of those creation codes. It just means that a, um, the energy generating system is running directly opposite compared to true source, true light, true love. And um, if we are looking at a 12 dimensional system, I'm, I'm a student, <laughs> not yet a master, but I'm a student of the Kathara system, which is the 12 dimensional creation system. In the Kathara system, um, we're saying that true source is a 12 dimensional system of creating matter and um, non-matter in its, in its different variation, different forms. And the empty Christic system mathematically can only reach back to 11 and a half dimensions, which means that physically, biophysically, quantum physically, mathematically, it never reaches, that number system never reaches true source, which means that it doesn't have an infinitely regenerative power source. And that's why this system is a vampiric system. That's why life forms need to feed off each other because they don't have access. They don't have the access codes to an infinite power source. So there's no real judgment in antichristic systems or in vampiric systems. There's a teaching system called A Course in Miracles, which teaches that there are only two forces 
in this universe, love or fear. And anything that is not based in love can be traced back to fear. So without any judgment of um, vampiric systems or alternative sources of power, it just means that there are entities and uh, manifestations of consciousness that have mathematically disconnected themselves from true source and established a false power source. They created rituals around that power source. They are worshiping that power source. They've named their names like the Luciferian experiment because it is. It is an experiment of consciousness, a story of what would happen if source itself would forget about its own power. And all that we're doing is we've experimented with DNA manipulation and we are gathering information that can be stored in our Akashic data bank. And now we've achieved a pool of knowledge. We have gathered a pool of knowledge so that we are ready to end this experiment if we want to. Now, on the fear side, if you are truly forgetting about where you're coming from, if you are forgetting about your true source of power, then returning back from a maximum of 11 and a half dimensions, returning back to 12 dimensions and above, it feels like, sounds like death and elimination. So obviously, entities and uh, forms of consciousness that are believing in that power source, that are worshipping that power source, do not wish to ascend, do not wish to return to true source, because they perceive it as the end. Which, in a way, it is. But it's not the end in a sense that there's nothing further, that there's nothing after. It's only going to be more after. It's a transformation. It's a transmutation. But for the power sources who do not see themselves as true light and true source, it is the elimination of consciousness. It's a sense of ego death. And their ego system is anchored in fear. Thank you for that, Alex. And yeah, I mean, out of, out of all the stuff that I've kind of, we've gone into uh, across this podcast series, the Hollywood stuff, it, it's, it's the hardest to take and the hardest to believe. Um, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking, and you mentioned this here, like we're talking about some of our favorite celebrities who've played some of our favorite characters in our favorite movies and who we've been watching on our TV screens since we were kids. Um, you know, some of these people we might have even had like childhood crushes on, like, so it's really, really hard to comprehend like any of this kind of stuff happening, like anyone doing this kind of stuff. But, but we're talking about our, you know, our favorite celebs here that we know and love. So it's, it is a really tough thing to get our head around. But, you know, one of the things that I've been sort of driving home on this, on this podcast series is that 
something being incomprehensible doesn't mean that it's not true. Uh, and this is the sort of thing that we actually, we, we really do need to start seeing it now. And, and the, you know, the truth is being revealed as well. On a slightly lighter subject, I've always been a complete telly addict. <laughs> and I just, I love trash TV. And I kind of, I kind of inad- inadvertently gave up trash TV at the beginning of the year. Uh, and then when we came on to lockdown, I was like, oh my God, what a time to give up trash TV. But I'm actually so glad that that, that, that had happened. Otherwise I would have probably honed into, into watching that instead of like stepping up and doing what I need to do right now. But despite being a trash TV addict, I was, I was always able to see the programming and manipulation that come through in these programs. Like, how they're, how they're telling us how to think and, and feel about certain things and topics and situations. And I think because I, because I was able to see it, I, I, I guess I was, I was lucky because I was kind of immune to, I was kind of immune to it and was just really, I was just kind of watching it to shut down my overactive mind and actually dull down my connection to spirit. Um, as at times that could actually get a bit, a bit much or a bit intense for me, like something like my third eye would actually hurt sometimes. But I, I actually, I actually kind of used trash TV as a, as a form of grounding meditation, but I knew it wasn't good. And I could see very clearly that the placements and mind control tools that are in these programs. And, and I also recognized that not everyone was going to be able to, to obviously see them placed there in, in the same way that I was. So. Yeah, it's, it's very clever and very scary, like the tools that they use and the manipulation that comes through. Um, I remember watching a program years ago called The Affair. And I, I, I use this as an, as an example because it was the most blatant form of, form of mind control I'd seen on the TV. Um, it was a couple who were having an argument. And mid-argument, she, for no apparent reason, sniffed her armpits pulled off her t-shirt and said, I stink. The store only had natural deodorant left. So it was, it was, it literally bore no relevance whatsoever to the scene, but it was just something that was, that was placed there. So then anyone watching that would naturally just suddenly in their mind think like, oh, natural deodorant doesn't work. I'm using this as an example as it was just so obvious, but they do it with much more important subjects than natural deodorant. And this, this goes towards like structuring our entire belief system. So yeah, if you can't see it, you are being programmed and manipulated. And it's, it's really quite, quite scary when you are able to see it, when you can see what is cleverly being placed in people's minds. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of, speaking of manipulation, um, I spoke there in the introduction about the manipulation of divine science and divine mathematics. Could you maybe talk to us a little bit about what you understand about this hijacking or, or infiltration of our spiritual systems. This is the part that is the most interesting for me. How I would put it is that it's like software and hardware that we're not just faced with the manipulative stories of, well, look, this product is better than that product, but the product that they're selling. So say for instance, in in the case of a deodorant, it's like you get the message, you get the software that the natural deodorant is the subpar product. And the one that you should be buying is the one with aluminum and all sorts of chemicals that are physically destroying your body. That's the hardware. And it works the same way with television programs that 
There's the message within those programs that couples always need to fight. There has to be a row before you can have makeup sex. <laughs> there has to be conflict before there is a catharsis and there's a happy ending. And there's also the hardware side of we are physically being bombarded with electromagnetic energies that are chemically, biologically destroying our natural electromagnetic field. Our heart, our brain, our cells are communicating with electric signals, electromagnetic energy. The number system that we're using is a base 10 number system. We're calculating in tens, twenties, thirties. That number system is missing two energetic components. Our natural quantum physical DNA template is a base 12 template. Our natural systems are running on three, six, nine, 12, 24, 48. Those numbers are much more natural and harmonic to our systems than 5, 10, 15. So when we take that number system and we use it for long enough and we write narratives and stories around it and we build religions around it and we come up with the most elaborate lies and the most beautiful metaphors and poetry and mathematics around it, then nature starts to adapt to that system. And not just environmental, natural nature, but human nature as well. It's the same thing as when you see a tree in the middle of a city that starts to grow its roots within the cracks of the asphalt. It's the exact same thing. It doesn't mean that that's how it would naturally grow in the middle of the jungle. It means that it's learned to adapt to the circumstances. So when we say things like the Fibonacci code can be found everywhere in nature, we miss the fact that the Fibonacci sequence is a made up number sequence that is plugged into a false source. It doesn't go back to a true power source. There are scientists who are calling this number system the death sciences because our mathematic systems and our spiritual systems are very cleverly crafted so that we hold certain number systems, certain sacred geometry patterns as um, mantras, as um, meditational tools. We keep looking at Metatronic Science, Metatron's Cube. We keep looking at the flower of life pattern, the seed of life pattern, the yin-yang symbol, the 10 base tree of life Kabbalistic pattern. All those mathematical number systems, all those sacred geometry patterns are based on death science. Originally, the 10 
point tree of life system is missing two elements. And when you complete that, those two elements, that's a base 12 cathara energy system. So there is, we, we are getting about 90% of the truth, but the little bit of distortion is enough for us to not be able to go back to a fully regenerative energy source so that our cells cannot naturally regenerate from our original DNA template and they atrophy and die. There was supposed to be a natural ascension cycle within the human evolution where every 11 years, so at age 11, 22, 33, 44, you evolve and you're capable of allowing and anchoring higher and higher dimensional energies. Now, if you, it's the same thing as a um, structure for a building for a house. If you were supposed to be having 12 bricks, but you only have 10 bricks because that's how you are educated, then your body, your physical structure can only hold so much stress. So when you only have, when you're only working with 10 bricks and you start adding energy, you start adding pressure, then your house after a while starts collapsing under that pressure. That's what happens to us energetically that because we don't have the access to our full 12 strand DNA template energetically when higher and higher dimensional energy forces try to run through our system. They are crushing our genetic template. So our cells cannot regenerate and slowly our organs shut down, slowly our systems die. That's the reason why we are not in an immortal body and we cannot take this carbon-based human body with us when we are crossing the point of physical death. That's really interesting to hear and you know a little bit a little bit scary as well but you saying that if we were if we were on the 12 strand DNA does that mean that we would be immortal then? The original human DNA template was designed to have a crystalline body to be able to evolve from a carbon-based body to a crystalline body. And that's what we mean by a five-dimensional existence, a five-dimensional reality, that if we would be running on a fully activated 12-strand DNA, then we would be taller, we would be more porous, there would be literally physically more space between our cells, our atoms, we would be, as we designed to be breatharians, we wouldn't need to consume other life forms. We wouldn't need to eat or drink. Now we've adapted to this existence, to this body. So we have this planet have been missing the past eight ascension cycles. So for the past 200,000 years, 
we did not have conscious access to those original 12-strand DNA templates. So in the beautiful New Age movement, when people are trying to sell you with DNA activation and they wave around wands and do a, a little bit of woo-woo around you and say that, well, now your 12-strand DNA is activated. If it would be, you would demanifest from this physical experience and you would take your consciousness into a different form, into a liquid light form. So you wouldn't die, but you would occupy a different space. You wouldn't have this physical body. Now, it's possible for us to temporarily open up 12 strands of DNA and the 12 strands of your DNA template is corresponding to 12 dimensions. Within each dimensions, it's like a musical scale. Within each dimension, you have, if you were to call a dimension a harmonic, within each dimension, you would have 12 subharmonics. So what we're usually doing when we are saying that we are activating 12-strand DNA is that we're not going to the 12th dimension. We are activating the 12th subharmonic within a three-dimensional body, which is completely different. What's happening with the ascension cycle is that Earth itself, the planetary grid of this Earth, has the original angelic human DNA template has the original source code and we can have the access to that source code. And um, when um, different forms of consciousness, so indigo children, crystal children, different dimensional beings decide to incarnate at a specific space-time. So right now there's the narrative there are 144,000 indigo children being born within this past 30, 40, 50 years on this planet specifically to help Earth's ascension. It's because those beings, those forms of consciousness are carrying more than 12 strands of DNA. It doesn't mean that they, um, that they are not human and it doesn't mean that human beings are only human beings. We have multiple lives. Our souls have parallel lifetimes. We are multidimensional beings at any point. And our consciousness right now is focusing in a human experience. And people who have um, crystal or crystal children or indigo children DNA templates, it means that they are capable of accessing and anchoring more than 12 strands of DNA so that the damage, the institutionalized damage that has been done to this planet and to our human system can be repaired quicker. Now, because for hundreds of thousands of years, very organized forces very cleverly have been crafting energetic grids 
around this planet and around the human body, they have been collaborating and cooperating. And what's happening now with the very clever narrative of social distancing and what has been happening with alienation and war, conflict, pitting people against each other, it's all because we have to come together. We have to collaborate, co-create for us to be able to access our true DNA template, our original design. And the same way as there has been an institutionalized force to worship a certain power, there, there is a possibility for us who want to connect to true source and true light to come together and anchor frequencies that are opening us up to our natural original design, which is way beyond what we are currently capable of accessing. Well, that's, I mean, that's really good news. And um, it's really interesting to hear it from the, the scientific aspect as well, because, you know, obviously I, I understand what's, what's going on with the ascension process. And when um, you mentioned there, like indigo and crystal children, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm an indigo child myself. So I kind of, I have, I have the understanding, but again, for me, it's always from that the more spiritual woo woo, um, kind of, uh, kind of angle. So it's really, really interesting to, to hear the science on that as well. And, you know, as we're, as we're speaking about scientific stuff here, I've spoken a bit in previous episodes about how we need to move from the, the lower vibrational energy of fear and into the higher vibrational energy of, of love and forgiveness in order to ascend. And you've spoken there about the course in miracles and how everything is either based in love or fear. Um, but can you talk to us a little bit about, about how that looks from a scientific um, viewpoint, like what, what the energy of fear and love looks like? Scientifically, energetically, and I think that's where the Course in Miracles gets it really right. There are two approaches to creation, how matter is created from source energy. It's either a cycle that is completely uninterrupted and source energy breaks itself into physical matter particles, electromagnetic particle waves, and then goes back into source energy some 300 times a second. So our illusion of continuity of time is just that it's an illusion. We're more like watching 300 frames a second, <laughs> how, how this reality, how this holographic reality is being created. So it's either an uninterrupted cycle or an interrupted cycle. So for me, love is not really an emotion. It's a container for all emotions. And fear is the illusion that um, we are separate, that um, creation is incomplete, or that death is possible. In a way, we are being created and destroyed at such a high rate. We are being created out of nothing and returned back to nothing 
some 300 times a second that um, the perception that we can die is the greatest lie ever created. So there are systems that um, measure different emotional states with different frequencies going from shame to guilt, anger, hatred, jealousy, fear, and they assign different frequencies to each emotions. For me, how I see the simplified version of this system is that we either subscribe to the knowledge, the understanding, and um, the true power of true love, of creation, infinite, completely divine creation, or we live in the illusion that death is possible, that um, we are less than eternal beings. So when we say that raise our vibrations, technically we're raising our oscillation. We are vibrating, oscillating at the same time. And um, what we mean by it, what's, what's the true meaning of, of um, raising our vibration is to be able to step beyond the limiting belief, the concept that death means the finishing line of continuity. This universe, this unified multiverse is constantly creating itself and dying. What we call death is the disillusionment with who we are. It's the death of the perception of self. So when we believe that we are less than true source, that we are less than infinity, then death is an incredibly scary notion to believe in. And love for me is not an emotion. For me, it's connection. It's the true meaning of um, anything and everything is existing at the same time space and consciousness is just experiencing itself in different forms and every form of consciousness is intimately interlinked so there's no true morality there's no true judgment there's no right or wrong it's a perception that there is it's an arbitrary category that there is because if you keep taking a step back and a step back and keep looking at a bigger and bigger picture and keep embracing more and more, then at the end, you come to the conclusion that there's really nothing else but love. There's really nothing else but true source. And that energy is a connective energy that is uniting us. We are truly one and the same in multiple diverse forms, possibilities, options, and perceived 
limitations. And fear for me is the state where you believe that you are only one of those parts, that you are only limited to that very, very tiny pocket of consciousness instead of being the infinite self that you are. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, like this clever disillusionment of the truth that we hold in our, in our system, in our, in our false knowing, but that, that true knowing, like when you actually know that, and I don't necessarily understand it scientifically, but I understand it just from a true place of knowing. Um, so, you know, I've, I've never, ever had a fear of death. I mean, I've had a fear of dying in pain, which comes from various other lives of, 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 of torture and all other kind of things. But I think that's probably a whole other podcast there. But, you know, so I've had, the, I've had the fear of dying in pain, but I've never had the fear of death because I've always had that ultimate knowing that, you know, that the, the, the energy never dies, that, 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 we, that, we, that we go on. And as a medium, um, it always, it, it really saddens me to see how many people don't believe that this is the case. So people lose their loved ones. And of course, they think that that's it. It's the end. And I, I see people's grieving process. Like when I look at, I, I lost my, I lost my dad. And um, obviously I was devastated by that, but my grieving process was so much quicker than many other people's because I knew that, you know, I knew that my dad was still there. I knew it. I knew it intrinsically, but I knew it, you know, as a medium or as someone who's able to connect with spirit. Um, and I would see other people who go through this, this grieving process who it would take because they didn't have that, that ultimate knowing. Their process would just take so much longer. Um, but you know, the, what you were saying there, like when you, when you understand not just that we can't die, but recognizing as well that we can be all things in all forms in so many different dimensions and we have life after life after life, which I'm saying life after life, which would suggest that that's um, consecutive, but, but actually those lives run simultaneously. But again, that's probably a whole other podcast. But yeah, when you have that understanding, that ultimate understanding of divinity, of infinity, um, it just it just strips away all of the things, all of the fear, as you mentioned, all of the things that that stop us from being who we you know who we are meant to be, all of the things that stop us from you know stepping into our power and into that oneness, like you say. When we have that understanding, all of that fear falls away. But of course, that fear has been deliberately implemented into our systems, into our education, into our understanding to keep us in that lower vibration and form and reaction of fear. So, yeah, it's really interesting to hear it from the from the scientific um, point of view. Then we're speaking here about this this infiltration of our systems, including our spiritual systems. So how can we how can we connect with the true light? Like, How can we make sure that we're not connected to the false light that has also been implemented as part of this infiltration structure? I personally feel incredibly privileged that this knowledge have found me. So right now I'm working on creating a system where this knowledge is widespread and available because I think that there needs to be a de-education and re-education on what are the systems that have been very consciously disconnecting us from those energy sources. What I've found very, very useful just in my personal practice 
is that there is a space within all of us where silence takes over from our mental chatter, from our conditioning. And in the depth of that silence, there is another voice that finds each and every one of us. Now, sometimes it takes a little longer for that voice to come. For some people, I, it's not a voice. I'm, I'm an audio person and um, a kinesthetic person. So I get information more through voice and feeling sensations. Some people are more visual. So I would use the word sense. So there is a sense in the depth of complete silence and stillness where your body, your physical body, your mind, and your emotional world is just all of a sudden taken over by a sense of ease, peace, relaxation, where any amount of doubt, fear, just gently dissolves. And to me, that is the true voice or sense of I'm connected to something that is life-affirming instead of destroying. To me, that's where I know that I am connected to true source. That sense of the tiniest shrapnel of fear is has disappeared from my system and nothing else is left but the inner knowing, the inner understanding that um, I'm safe, I'm loved, and everything that I am and everything that I do has been agreed upon. My free will and my free agency is not violated. Maybe I don't see from my perspective, from my point of view, how it makes sense. Maybe my ego self is fighting against what's happening, but there is a deeper inner knowing that at some point in some form of consciousness, I designed this path for myself. I've agreed to this life exactly the way it is. And this little puzzle piece that I don't know where to put right now, it makes perfect sense in the big picture. So for me, connecting to a space of stillness and silence, and sometimes I need to wait. Sometimes it takes me... 35, 40 minutes of sitting in complete stillness and silence while I'm able to tune out all the jingles and pop songs and mental chatter and just get to the first few seconds of actual silence in my mind. And 
that true process, that true knowing only starts after the first 45 minutes. So it's a practice. And if we make it into a daily practice, then after a while, it's going to be less and less time for us to get to that space of knowing safety and peace. For me, that has been the proof of um, I am connecting to true source, that um, there is no space left for fear. There's no doubt. There's nothing else left but joy, happiness, and a deep, deep sense of peace and safety. That's a really, really beautiful way of putting it, Alex. And yeah, I mean, that inner, that inner knowing is, is everything. And it's something that we all have the power and the ability to do. It's actually our birthright. But, you know, as you, you said there, like de-educate and re-educate. And that's absolutely what needs to happen right now to, so that we can learn to trust our, our, our own soul and our own wisdom instead of the system that we were, that we were born into. Um, since lockdown, I, I have like absolutely challenged myself and my, and my connection to spirit three times now to, to make sure that I am like a hundred percent connected to the true light. Um, I actually had a really intense experience on the fourth of the fourth, um, world meditation, which, which for anyone who doesn't know was a huge group meditation that was, um, that was arranged to send love into the field in, in order to, to shift the energy out of the, vibration of fear and into the vibration of love and you know I felt the pull to do this so strongly uh, and I, I mean the meditation was at was at 3 45 in the morning my time so 4 45 in the morning Ibiza time and believe me when I say that I don't get out of bed for anyone but as I said that the pull was the pull was just so strong and I, I was actually I was guided to hold a ceremony instead of meditating uh, which I did but then once that was over I um I looked at my phone and saw a message about how the meditation had potentially been hijacked. Uh, and the message actually uh, made a reference to the tree of life uh, being the tree of death, which you, you spoke about earlier, Alex. Uh, and it was saying that like, the, the meditation was either potentially organized by or had been hijacked by the false light. Now, this, this really freaked me out, especially as a friend then messaged me to say, that he actually felt that the group meditation that he had been linked to uh, had been hijacked. Um, but once he, once he realized what was going on, he, uh, he pulled away from the group meditation and focused on the unconditional love that he has for his nephew. And so he was then able to pull himself out of it and then had like a super powerful experience. But off the back of this, and, and with it being like 4.15 in the morning and uh, me, for, me therefore being in a slightly less rational mind to what I usually, uh, what I usually have, I then started to, to question why, why had I had such a strong pull to lend my energy to a hijacked meditation? Um, and so I then tried to connect to the true light. I, I just, I could not get there. Like I was literally engulfed in darkness. Um, so it actually took me about four hours to, to find my way to the light. And so, like, during this process, I started to question everything. Like, what have I just lent my power to? Like, why did Merlin guide me? Why did Merlin guide me into it? And, and why had I felt such a strong pull to, like, to encourage others to go into it as well? So 
I then started wondering, again, bear in mind it's 4.15 in the morning, wasn't the most rational state of mind for myself, but, you know, I started wondering if, if Merlin was of the false light and, and, and if I was being guided by the false light. So this actually took me into like a really intense process where I started to like not only renounce any connection that I might have to the darkness in, in both this life and others, um, but I also started to renounce my connection to Merlin like should he should he not be of the true light? Uh, I renounce my connection to my book that's channeled with Merlin. If should um, should the words of wisdom that come through uh, that come through in that not be of the true light? And then I realised that I also needed to renounce my ego because um, if it turned out that my teachings weren't of the true light and I had actually been duped by this this false light that we speak of, then I was going to have to find the courage to step up and publicly admit that I had been deceived, and that's not an easy thing for any of us to do. But I knew that that's, that, that's exactly what would be required of me um, if I had been duped in order for me to, to work solely in the true light, which is obviously where, you know, I want to be, where we all want to be. Um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really grateful to say that after my very mini dark night of the soul there, um, I, I did discover that I was connected to the true light and that Merlin and and the teachings in my book are also of the true light, which was a huge relief, I have to say, as I wasn't really looking forward to publicly renouncing myself. Um, and I also realised about about two hours in that I was actually still in ceremony as, as I then, um, I then, I found myself like renouncing this darkness on behalf of humanity um, as well as myself. And I just want to say there that, that, you know, that's just me playing my small part to, to help with this process. Like, there are many people doing this kind of work all around the planet. And it's, it's, it's also important to say that there were many, like, there were many powerful healers and light workers and, and just people in general in, involved in this meditation who, who were of the true light uh, and were holding space for this, this new vibration of love to come through. And yeah, making sure that any attempted hijacks didn't happen. So just to say, you know, it ended up being a very, very powerful meditation with, with very powerful results. And, and many people had like incredible experiences and really felt the love and felt the oneness. Like this, this was just my experience as, as it was what it's, it's what was required of me to, to play my part at that particular time. But the reason I'm sharing this story or a very small part of this story is that humanity as a whole are being asked to challenge everything that we know or think we know uh, and everything that we have been taught as part of this ascension process. Um, and, and this will be very challenging, uh, especially to our egos that, that try to protect us from, um, well, from, from many things, but from things like humiliation or the embarrassment of learning that some of the things that we've believed in or, or have maybe even served are actually not we not what we believe them to be um or, or our understanding of who or what we think ourselves to be for example but this is absolutely what is needed right now like i've spent many years challenging the constructs of our society and my original taught belief system, as, as many of us have, like yourself included, Alex, I'm sure. Um, but, but now, like, you know, I, I'm having to go deeper to still pull back even more layers to make sure that I'm totally free of a system that has been infiltrated from all angles. And even those who have been doing this work for years 
will be asked to go deeper as part of this process. Yeah, and I just want to say here that, that whilst, I, whilst I have already challenged myself and my connection uh, to or my guidance from, from Merlin like three times since being on lockdown, I will continue to do this. I will continue to challenge all that I know and all that I think I know. And I will make a declaration here and now that no matter how difficult or how embarrassing this might be, if I ever discover that I'm not actually connected to the true light or that, that what I'm teaching is incorrect or not of the true light, then I will admit to that because part of this journey that we're now on is to, is, is to, is to shed that ego and to start to work towards the good of the collective consciousness whilst making sure that we stand in our true power, in our true light and in our true wisdom. Um, and that's why it's so important for us to fully connect with our own intuition. Like, like you were saying there, Alex, Alex, like what our own body is telling us, like what our own consciousness is telling us, like we need to, we need to, we need to get really intimate with ourselves to really know what's coming from within us. Like th th this is, this is part of the process to becoming sovereign beings and to recognize that we you know, we shouldn't be giving our power away to anyone else, whoever that may be, we need to learn to stand in our own power. That was so beautifully said. I think it's so important for each and every one of us to come to our sovereign self and um, realize that we are in a constant state of evolution. We never fully grow up we never fully finish our development and uh, we have a higher self that is not separate from us it's not we have um a spirit guide self we have an angelic self we don't have to look to other beings those entities those forms of consciousness are just a different dimensional expression of the self. So when we are looking for guidance, when we're looking for a parental figure that we might have not had within the physical reality, then we don't have to look for an ancient God figure. We don't have to look for a religious guide. All we need to look is deeper and deeper within so that we would find ourselves and different versions of ourselves, different higher and higher states of our own consciousness. And um, I think this autonomy is the only thing right now that we can be sure about because we have been misled very, very deliberately, all of us on this planet. But I don't think that fundamentally the human element in us has been corrupted. I think that as much as we are hurting right now, I don't believe that any one of us came here to this planet wanting to hurt. I think we learned that from each other along the way. So in a sense, it's none of us is fault, but 
all of us's responsibility to do something about it now that we are aware of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with what you just said there in terms of like, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility. Um, and yeah, I mean, like everything we need is within us. Um, you know, obviously I do, I do work with a guide. And as I've just said, that I've, I've gone through a process since lockdown of really challenging that to make sure that, you know, that, that, that what I am connecting with is pure. But, you know, the most important thing is, is connecting to yourself. And I mean, funny enough, also since lockdown, um, Merlin was actually guiding me again to, but to use my own intuition more rather than relying on him for guidance as, you know, since connecting with him, which is probably about five years ago now, I mean, I've, I've become a little bit lazy in terms of using my own intuition, my own intuition. Like, cause I just, I defer to him all the time. I'm, I'm constantly like, Merlin, is that true? Uh, Merlin, should I be doing this? Um, and no, don't get me wrong. Like I, I do still use my own intuition and, and, and do have the strong intuition, which I've, you know, I've been training for many years now, but you know, he, as, as a responsible guide of the true light is, you know, is asking me to step up even more now and, and, and trust myself over, over trusting him as, as ultimately we are the true power. And, um, you know, we, we are the, we are the divine wisdom. We just need to know how to connect to that. As a child, I actually had incredibly strong intuition and, and knowing and, and seership. Um, I mean, I could actually, I could smell a lie a mile off. Um, but I gave a lot of this power away to a system that didn't understand or allow for these gifts because, you know, as a kid, I just wanted to fit in and, and be like everyone else. I didn't, I didn't understand why everyone else wasn't seeing what I was seeing. Um, but yeah, as I said, I mean, I, I could, so I could smell a lie a mile off. Um, and I would very naively and innocently, I'd say, um, call people out on it as, as I, I didn't understand why they were lying. And as you can imagine, people didn't really like that. Um, but what, what I didn't understand was that other people weren't seeing the lie. I didn't understand that this was a, you know, a gift, if you like. And it, and it began, it began to feel more like a curse than a gift, to be honest. What I saw was that all of my friends had boyfriends. This is a, as a teenager, you know, all of my friends had boyfriends and I didn't. So I learned that if I wanted a boyfriend, I had to let them lie to me. Like I would actually, I would actually see friends allowing boyfriends to lie to them. So I thought that's what you had to do if you wanted a boyfriend. But I, I had no idea that they weren't actually allowing it. They just weren't seeing the lie in the same way that I was. So, I mean, eventually I just became desensitized to the lies through the allowing of them. Um, but with that being said, like the, the information was still always there. It was always like bubbling bubbling away in the subconscious mind, trying to come into my consciousness, but I just wasn't allowing it. And I think sometimes it's easier for us to live in the lie and to allow the lie to happen as we're like, we're, we're, we're scared of the unknown of, of what it means to be living outside of the lie when, when we've grown so accustomed to living within, within the confines of the lie. So, yeah, I mean, we often, we ignore the signs because we think that we don't have the capacity or the strength or, or the knowledge or, or the wisdom to, to start again or to break free. And, you know, I've, I've certainly allowed myself to be engulfed in the lies in the past, like whether that be within relationships that I, that I didn't want to have to walk away from or whether it be the big picture of our society in general. But, 
now that I've had the courage to walk away from a life that was based on lies and I'm now able to see the truth, no matter how difficult that journey has been, I, I, I wouldn't swap my old life for all the tea in China and I drink a lot of herbal tea. <laughs> um, I've had to go quite deep on this lockdown as, um, as, my, as my guidance has been to reacquaint myself with the darkness that's, that's, happening, that's happening in this world in order to hold the energy of love and to help to transmute the collective fear. So I, I had to go, I had quite a deep process when I took my stand to declare my sovereignty and express you know, I, I do not consent to the deep manipulation of humanity's free will. Now, I won't go into the details here today, but it, it was deep work that actually, like, it needs to be undertaken by the whole of humanity. Um, and I just want to say on that, that, you know, that there's many light workers um, who are already transmuting this energy for the collective. So it doesn't need to be as deep a process necessarily for people as it was for myself, for example. But, you know, just seeing the truth and then simply saying, I do not consent to this is enough in regards to, well, in regards to this, certainly to begin with anyway. Um, so, you know, you can do it by you know, signing petitions or um, through making a statement on social media or through just, you know, taking a stand in whatever way works for you. And um, we actually, we, we, we touched upon this in episode two of this series when uh, we spoke about Magenta Pix's three-step process, uh, which has also actually been shown to me by Merlin as well. And in simple terms, um, step one is acknowledge the truth. Step two is to declare your sovereignty. And step three is to forgive. So I'll repost Magenta's video in the show notes in this episode. But, um, but yeah, Alex, it would be good, uh, it would be good if you could speak a little bit about what happens energetically when we say, I do not consent. I will not allow this to happen anymore. This unified multiverse has a couple of rules that cannot be breached by any force. And one of those rules is the rule of free will and free agency. We as sovereign beings of the same one consciousness experiencing itself and expressing itself in many different forms we cannot breach free will. We cannot impede upon each other. But we can lie and we can misdirect and we can take away the, um, we can give the illusion of not having a choice by taking away choice. So as long as we are not educated that we have a choice, as long as it's not even on our radar, we don't even know that we have free will, that we have the freedom to choose any option, then it's easy for us to go with something that has been normalized or something that is common. And just because something is normalized, it doesn't mean that it's normal or something that is normal is not necessarily what's good for us because it usually our societal agreements haven't been created for the benefit of all. Usually they've been created for the benefit of the few 
against the many. So as long as we claim our own free will, there is no force that can go against that will because ultimately we are the same one energy. Now we can keep up a lie, a deceit, we can keep manipulating, we can keep using force, we can keep using conflict, but at the end, if we just step back far enough and we see each other, not just as individual puzzle pieces, but we start actually putting together the big picture, all that we're going to face is the one and same source energy, which means that energy is not capable of violating itself. All it can do is forget about its own power, have the illusion of going against itself and trapping its own consciousness, trapping its own mind into its own lie. So I think what's the most important for all of us is to start embracing the concept of infinite freedom of choice. There is always another option. And if you are not happy with one of the choices, it just means that you haven't thought about all the options because fear is not the ultimate building block of this universe. So just keep looking for the choice that aligns with the feelings of love and peace. Ultimate freedom of choice. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, we really have been programmed and kept in these really low vibrational um, energies of fear that keeps us you know, feeling like we don't have a choice, as, as you've already said. So, I, you know, I just think that's a really, really important thing to put out there, that we do have that that ultimate freedom of choice. And, you know, some of this stuff, I know it's quite difficult for people to, to, to you know, to see that or to see how they make those choices when, you know, it feels like, especially at the moment, it feels like so many choices have been taken away from us and so many freedoms have been taken away from us. You know, there's, there's a lot of shifts happening at the moment for people. I mean, I've always had, I've always had very powerful shifts take place at night, like really intense dreams. And, um, you know, I, I swear I work harder at night in my sleep state than I do, do during the day, although my days are pretty full on right now as well. But, um, this is something that I really notice. And I know not everybody does, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening for everybody. And I think, you know, with this ascension process, process that we're going through, there's a lot of stuff that's happening energetically that people might not notice or realize or be aware of, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. And there's just a lot going on right now to, you know, to help to get us ready for this process that we are already going through, uh, to help shift a lot of the heavy baggage, if you like, to, to help us vibrate higher and help it, help us to see clearer and help us to see that we've got that, you know, that, um, that freedom of choice that you, you spoke of there, Alex. And, you know, just, just to share a few experiences that have, that have been happening for me since lockdown. I have a lot of intense things happening at night and through the, through the dream state. And one of the things that was happening for me over a period of about two weeks was this, this deprogramming from fear. 
Uh, and when I say like fear, I was I was releasing fear, but it not it wasn't the fear of the virus. It's more like a you know deeply ingrained fear that I've carried for centuries or lifetimes. And, and I've also been doing some work in terms of shifting the collective fear as well. Uh, and what would happen is like I'd wake up, I'd kind of wake up in the night and um, feel like I'd wake up in the night with a bit of a jolt. And then I'd just have this knowing. I'd be like, okay, that's just fear leaving my body. I just have to allow it to travel through my body and release and then it will be gone. Like just this absolute knowing. And then I was kind of having the same thing with um, like being deprogrammed from the system and it was the same thing again I would just wake up with this knowing of oh it's okay I'm just being deprogrammed from the system um so yeah that was happening and I've been deprogrammed from my own experiences that have maybe caused me to have like limiting beliefs so you know as I say even though we sometimes think these things are impossible because we're used to living in the world that we're living in as part of this ascension process a lot of help is really being offered to us right now like energetically we're having a lot of support that is that is coming through so um yeah and i guess the, the other thing as well you know i've been just waking up with all these amazing ideas and wisdom and knowledge on and, and setting intentions before i go to bed to um you know as i've been witnessing what's been going on for myself i've, I've, I've been learning to then set intentions before i go to bed to let go of things then i'm actually having dreams that are reprogramming my subconscious in regards to the intentions that I'm setting. So yeah, like really powerful stuff's happening at the moment. And I think, you know, if we can surrender to some of that, um, we're going to see big changes coming through, you know, for ourselves and for the whole of humanity collectively. Um, now it's quite normal for me to work in this way. Um, but the energy has literally, you know, intensified, intensified to the power of four at the moment. And I'm sure many, many people are experiencing this kind of thing. But Alex, maybe you could, Maybe you could talk to us about what's happening there from a scientific perspective again, because uh, I know a lot of people don't really believe in the power of dreams or, or even the power of manifestation. But as I said, like dreams to me are one of the most powerful tools that I use to release, like to understand and to, to heal and to grow. So, yeah, maybe you can help some of the people out there who think it's all woo woo to, to understand the science of it. That is an absolute treasure chest. Okay, so um, very, very briefly, the original human DNA template has the capacity to energetically anchor 12-dimensional energies. When people talk about 12D DNA activation, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, your 12 strands are actually open and functional. We usually, in this physical body, have the maximum access to three DNA strands. Now, they are just mathematical energy codes, how source energy is coding itself into physical matter. So what happens when we are asleep is that we have the ability to trespass from our three-dimensional limited consciousness onto the more elusive fields of a fourth-dimensional astral consciousness. Dreams are, in a way, astral travels, and lucid dreams are a form of keeping the continuity of your waking consciousness while being in a four-dimensional astral form. 
if you have a very vivid dream, your senses, your senses of touch, taste, smell, are just as vivid and valid as if you would have a physical body. So it's a very similar sensation. And that astral plane is the last physical plane where form more or less looks like our physical human form. When you go more towards fifth, sixth dimensional existence, your physical form is less and less dense, so you become more mist-like, ghost-like, in a sense that you don't occupy human form anymore. So because the dream space is so convincingly close to our waking state, there has been a lot of energetic hijacking going on in dream states of human consciousness from originally non-human forces that I like to call visitors. And uh, there's nothing to be afraid of. They, they are not necessarily malicious creatures. They are a different form of the same consciousness. Even if they are malicious creatures, there has been a lot of visiting and contacting through the astral plane of four-dimensional dream states. And because we are free from the physical dense heaviness of a carbon-based body on the fourth plane, we can also access higher dimensional information much clearer, quicker, easier. So there is a lot of information sharing going on in dream states where we get to anchor that information into this physical body without having to go through painful experiences. Sometimes when people are inconsiderate with higher dimensional powers, then energetic practices like a Kundalini awakening or a forced healing or shadow work that hasn't been properly facilitated can cause physical damage because your physical three-dimensional DNA template is not capable of taking in such high vibrational energy. And it's similar to running high-frequency electricity through a wire. If that wire is not made of a metal that is capable of taking that high currency, that high heat, then the wire can literally melt. This happens to, or can happen, to our physical cells as well. That if your cells are not well prepared to take on higher dimensional, high vibrational energy, you can start causing physical damage within your system. So because in dream states, you are setting yourself free, your consciousness is setting itself free from your three-dimensional limitations, it's a lot easier for us to receive information, to clear karmic imprint, to let go of 
limiting beliefs, emotional blockages, and then waking up from a dream state. You might remember it, might not remember it, but that's the time when physical integration can happen at its own pace. That's the time where we're allowed to be extremely tired and we need extra naps during the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess in the dream state is when your ego goes to sleep as well, right? So it gives your subconscious mind the chance to be free and to see the bigger picture of things that sometimes our ego stops us from seeing. Um, but yeah, I mean, as we're as, we, as it's all about the science at the moment, um, I've spoken a lot on this series about what's happening from a spiritual understanding within, uh, with regards to the ascension process. But it would be good to get into a little bit of a nitty gritty of what's going on right now energetically from, from a scientific perspective. Um, you know, like, like what's, what's the science of this ascension? What's the science behind Christ consciousness? What we are calling Christ consciousness is energetically the equivalent of a 10, 11, and 12 dimensional existence, level of consciousness. We like to call it a five-dimensional being, but it goes way beyond that. Earth itself had a five-dimensional version of it that we are ascending to, that we're going back to, but as human beings, as the inhabitants of this planet, what we are aspiring towards is a 12, 11, 10 dimensional existence. And um, the word Christ, the name Christ, has been very, very cleverly distorted with the use of some tricky storytelling. The Christ figure is a metaphor. Now, we could go into the history of it. There has been historical figures who have had the ability to anchor certain higher frequency energies on this planet. But the story of the Christ, the story of Jesus, is a very well-crafted metaphor. The Jesus figure, the Christ figure, a man being put on a cross with a blocking crown of thorns around its head, with nails in its palms, through its feet. Those are the visual representations and the metaphorical representations of blocking certain energy centers. If you look at the human body in terms of a 12-grid cathara system, or if you start going deeper into the axiatonal lines of the human body, then you get to see that you have chakras, energy centers on your palms, on your feet, and the crown is obviously the blocking of the crown chakra. So when you're presented with an image of a man, of a figure who you are physically looking up to, because it's always at an elevated place, in the place of gathering, in a church where 
the entire town gathers each and every Sunday, and we're all looking up at a man who has certain crucial energy points blocked, then what we are metaphorically and physically are being accustomed to is that those energy centers are places of pain, suffering. They should not be accessed. They should not be used. So subconsciously, unconsciously, we have been conditioned not to open up our crown chakra, not to use our hands for anchoring certain energies and manifest, and not to use our feet to be connected to this planet. And it's a very, very clever story that has been running for over 2,000 years now. If we are fleshing out the Bible a little bit longer, then uh, the first thing that everyone should keep in mind about the Bible is that in AD 325, the Council of Nicaea took out the text, the original text, from the Bible that had any mention of our Christic nature. Christ used to be the figure of setting ourselves free. It used to be the metaphor for us having the ability to rise to that Christic consciousness. And there's been a according to the text that remained, there's been a, an agreement between the devil and God that the devil can do whatever it wants as long as he's not breaching free will. Because one of the main rules is that free will simply cannot be breached. It is completely impossible. So all the almost blatant display of vampiric agenda, of the normalization of violence, sexualizing very young kids, bringing in innuendos into Disney movies, cartoons, it's all for a self-defense mechanism from Luciferian forces to be able to say that we have the choice, we have free will, our free will have not been breached because we've known about this all along. It's been in front of our eyes. Instead of having the benefit of a doubt, just start taking everything that you see at face value. Instead of looking at Hollywood movies, cartoons, characters as too much or just fiction or this can surely this cannot be true. Just 
entertain the thought for a second that what if those inhumane behaviors and those very cruel forces are in fact a confession or a display of what's been going on behind closed doors. Because as long as we see it and don't say anything about it, as long as we witness it and agree to it, free will has not been breached. Well, I mean, I think, I think, it's, I think it's such an important statement that you just made there, like with, regard, with regards to them telling us their intentions through, through movies and, and other platforms, because we do see it. I mean, I, I, I said in an earlier episode that there's not much fiction in science fiction, folks, and, it, and it's so true. Like they, they do show us their intentions in this way and they, they do often um they, they do often like hide in plain sight so to speak so yeah it's really good to have an understanding of why why they do that because i think a lot of people dismiss that kind of of evidence when it comes out this you know the, the evidence that comes out that it's been that, that that this information's been there all along they dismiss it because they think that there's there's no way that someone would tell you their dark plan before rolling it out so to speak um but now we can see why that's happening and obviously seeing it in movies first as well also kind of helps to desensitize us from it as well but something that i would something that i would just like to clear up for our audience at home we've spoken about how free will cannot be breached but how can we explain to our audience how these forces get away with abusing children within the constructs of their manipulation of free will. Because that, that's a different thing to what we've been talking about here in terms of hiding in plain sight and, and letting us know what they're doing so that if we don't say no, then they're not breaching our free will. I mean, the abuse of children would certainly look like a direct impeachment of free will. I would say it's a little bit more complex. Not complicated, just complex. So if we think about this life as if it would be a game or a movie, such as a game of Monopoly with its own set of rules or a movie script with its players and characters and roles, then within the construct of the game, Within the world of the movie, we collectively, consciousness itself, collectively, at some point has agreed that within this set of rules, we try out as an experiment. Some people call it the Luciferian experiment. That what would it be like if we forgot that we have free will, that if we forgot that we are connected to true source, and for purely the sake of data collection to expand our collective understanding, to bring information back to the Akashic database, we are playing it out that if we have no knowledge, no understanding, no memory of our free will, our true 
free will, then what is the deepest, darkest extent of not just blatantly, violently going against free will, but in very secretive ways, not even allowing individuals to be free. The children who are born to lifetimes and bodies that are being violated, they experience extreme suffering. So from the level of the game, from within the story, within the movie itself, it seems, feels, perceived as incredibly cruel. And um, I, I don't want to paint the picture that it's okay on any level. But if we step outside and if we say that we are not the players of Monopoly, but we are the players of the game itself, we are the players who made up the rules of the game. We are the writers who created the script of this universe. Then on some very, very expanded level, we have agreed to all of this. And um, this is where the unification of light and dark comes together. This is where there is no violence anymore. There's no fear anymore. There's no animosity anymore. As long as we have a dark side, there will always be a shining light side of saviors and a, a new set of beautiful beings who are coming from nothing but perfection. And that is just the upside of the dark forces that is still one side of a dualistic movement. And as long as there is one side, there is another side. So if we expand our consciousness completely outside of the concept of dualism, if we embrace both the dark side and the light side, then we are closer to the true nature of free will. So yes, on the level that we are playing out, on the level of our understanding, our feelings, our perception, our physical experience, there is injustice and not just abuse, not just physical sexual injustice. There is injustice on a political, economical, storytelling, narrative level where we are completely unaware that from our moment of birth, we are sold to the state, to the government that we belong to. We are born without our free, sovereign nature. So what I would say is that it is part of the experiment to wake up from within. Because if we were to impose any rules, any saviors upon us 
from outside. If we were to look outside to this universe for other entities, other visitors to come in and help us and save us, that would be a breach of free will. The point of this game is to say from within the game that we would like to have a different set of rules because we have agreed to these rules from a time before or beyond our remembrance. So if we were to say inside the game, inside the script, that we would like to change the rules, that is the connection back to our original free will. Thank you so much for that explanation, Alex. I mean, I think it's, I think it's really important to clear that up as, you know, it can be so hard for us to see all of these different layers of consciousness when, you know, as humans, we're so ingrained in the suffering of humanity. It's, it's very hard for us to see or understand like the nature of soul contracts or, um, the soul contracts of each individual. And, you know, especially, it's especially hard to see when it comes to the suffering of children, which is just so like incredibly heartbreaking to, to see or, or to hear about, like particularly from our limited human perspective, which just doesn't understand the bigger picture. But that's why it's so important for us to see the truth so that we can say no to this mass manipulation of our free will on all levels. So thank you for, you know, for explaining it from that 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 higher perspective um but uh but yeah i mean i just 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 going back to what you were previously saying um i didn't know about the symbolism behind um the crown of thorns being used to to block the crown chakra before you told me that on one of our long deep chats um but it yeah it just makes so much sense and what what i did know is that the crown used in the royal families was actually symbolic of the crown chakra and that the you know, naturally appointed or spiritually appointed leaders um, of, of, of old times um, had a had a very strong and open crown chakra, and therefore a very strong connection to to source to enable them to you know to bring the wisdom down in order to to, to lead fairly and, and in line with the divine. But of course, these these natural leaders were overthrown by the dark forces that we've been speaking about in this series. So. Speaking of leaders, Alex, what are your thoughts on Trump? Um, I've, I've totally had my head turned with regards to Trump since going back down the rabbit hole. Um, when he was elected, I, I, had, I had a very strong feeling that it was going to be a really good thing in the long run. But my conscious mind went on a bit of a, um, a bit of a ride with all of the rhetoric that spun about him. And, you know, I guess I just kind of thought that it would, it would be a good thing because everyone would finally recognize the madness going on in the world due to the, you know, the lunacy of, of this election. But what I should have recognized is that when the world press go all out to attack and debunk someone, there's usually a reason for that that's you know, the complete opposite of what they want you to think. And, you know, the reason in this case being that Trump is definitely not a cabal puppet, which I knew, but what I didn't realize is that Trump knows, like he knows exactly what's going on with the cabal and has launched a campaign which he calls, um, he calls draining the swamp to, you know, to rid us of this dark corruption. 
So, I mean, if I haven't if I haven't already lost my listeners by talking about the deep state and conspiracy theories, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I may well lose them now by talking positively about Trump. But you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, right? <laughs> I think what I most appreciated about the documentary Out of Shadows is that the um, ex stuntman, who's the uh, main presenter of that documentary, says that every side has good players and bad players. And it's true. How I see Trump is that he's been recruited to do what he's doing. He hasn't been going through the election campaign and his whole presidency by his own will. He has been appointed. Now, our world has been ruled by one force, mainly one force up until now, but it is not the only force that is out there. So what we are witnessing right now is a change of power. That doesn't necessarily mean that the new power, the new incoming power is going to be the exact opposite or that it's going to be completely void of corruption or maybe even cruelty or insensitivity. Trump himself has not been behaving as a particularly conscious person. But the agenda that he's representing is definitely more humane than the one that he is fighting against. Ever since he has been in office, executive orders have started taking down sex trafficking rings, child trafficking rings at the amount never before seen during any other presidency. What happened during the Clinton presidency, the Bush presidency, the Obama presidency has been a soft social discourse about what we should do against human trafficking. We've set up a couple of charities and we've gathered and marched and um, we've donated a couple of hundred millions. What Trump did is he used law enforcement and power to actually save lives. So his agenda or the agenda that he is working for is definitely more humane and life-affirming than the previous powers who had vested interest, financial vested interest in keeping those rings functional. Now, because very few of us are insiders into what's going on, what's the agenda, the incoming agenda, we cannot say for sure that Trump is a savior figure or that he is the answer to everything or that he is a knight in shining armor compared to the previous power forces. He is a definite improvement towards a more 
heart-centered and conscious way of living. But because he is still slotting into the previous system, he is still going through a political route, he is still motivated by profit, we can never outrule that the forces or the side that is funding him and that is putting him in the forefront has fully aligned, conscious, and humane agenda. Every side has good players and bad players. What we are seeing right now is a definite improvement. And what I would say is before we judge anyone or anything, any movement, any individual, just do your research. Look at numbers, facts, look at actual actions, not the words, but the deeds, and um, draw your own conclusion. And for sure, always, always, always follow the money. Because whoever is profiting from things like war, vaccination, social distancing, child trafficking, drug trafficking, those forces have a vested interest in keeping up business for as long as possible. And we have seen that Trump is also motivated by money, but we are not yet sure in exactly which business he is in. So that's something that is hopefully going to come to the light of the day pretty soon. Yeah, follow the money. It's, it's, it's always true, isn't it? And yeah, I think we just need to be looking at everything with fresh and open eyes. So by not following everything that the mainstream news tell it tells us and just looking at things in, in different ways. And if, if, if the mainstream news is telling us to look one way, we probably need to be looking in the complete opposite direction, to be honest. And, you know, I liked what you said there as well about, um, you know, uh, not being a saviour, because it's really important for, you know, for us all to recognise that nobody is our saviour in this process. There are many, many people working towards you know, helping in this ascension and helping to set humanity free, but nobody is anybody's saviour. You know, you need to really go within and, you know, save yourself, so to speak. And the last thing we want to do is take our power back from those that aren't serving us and then give our power away elsewhere, even if it's to something better. We need to really stand firmly and strongly in our own power and then come together collectively, all individually standing in our own power and then um, you know, allowing our individual powers to then actually shine collectively. But yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we spoke about the news there and obviously, obviously we know that the news is manipulated. I mean, not all of our listeners will, of course, um, although we did go into this in some detail in, um, episode one of this series. But yeah, there's a, there's a few videos and, and documentaries out there at the moment that are actually showing maybe like 20 or so of, of the, of the leading news channels, like all lined up next to each other. And, um, you know, playing them all at the same time. And each newsreader is saying exactly the same thing, word for word. So, you know, you can see how they're all actually being fed 
exactly the same thing. Like none of it's none of it's independent. Um, but but in the exact opposite way of what's happening there. Like uh, something that I've been really noticing a lot since lockdown is that many of us who are aware and conscious of what's going on are either we're either all channeling or receiving from the collective consciousness a very similar way of saying what we're seeing, not word for word in the same way as the news channels are. That's a, that's a very different thing. Like that's fed, but in a way that like, in a way that not only are we all, not only are we all seeing the same thing, but we're all describing what we're seeing in a, in a really similar way. Like for, for example, um, I channeled the intro for my first podcast in this series uh, at the beginning of lockdown. And I referred to the Ascension as being a bloodless battle. Then I later watched a documentary where Sasha, uh, Sasha Stone referred to it as a bloodless Armageddon. Um, and before, before I'd even channeled the introduction, I actually, I felt inspired to rewatch The Hunger Games, which I've always said to, to be an incredibly conscious, like, set of films or books. And I, I really wanted to post on social media, like, this is the revolution and you, as in all of you, um, you know, you are the Mockingjay. But I knew that it was like, you know, far too soon to say anything like that as, as people were, you know, obviously still in shock and trauma and, and you know, obviously people were dying and, and suffering. So, you know, that wasn't something that I could put out there at that time. But um, I saw David Icke talking, um, talking in one of his interviews and he was comparing us to um, the Hunger Games Society. Um, now, so, so this this actually happened back in, in 2012 as well. I, I spoke about this on the Mexico special podcast I did where I was saying that I, I was guided to rewatch The Matrix back then and um, I, I, I then channeled this amazing conclusion to an article that I'd written on the way that we treat cancer and I was just basically saying you know how it's like taking the red pill in The Matrix like once you see you see there's no going back and um, at that time what I was saying there that was completely original to me or, or so I thought but then, you know, I, I didn't use I didn't use the conclusion straight away as I decided to you know, split what I was writing into several articles. And I wanted to, like, save that final, you know, that, that to be the final powerful conclusion. But in the time it took me to write the other articles, I suddenly started to see this same statement being being used in other places. So I never ended up using it as it was like no longer original to me, like. To total ego there, but uh, but then, then I realised that that spirit, like spirit, channel the same information to to many people um, to get that wisdom to get that wisdom heard, and you know also this knowledge and wisdom is also held in the collective consciousness. So yeah, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that, Alex. For me, the most interesting realisation hopefully global realization of this social distancing is, is that we have been conditioned to live in separate boxes, drive in separate boxes, eat from separate boxes, watch separate boxes, and be our own separate being. Now, there is value in the individual. But there is also power in people coming together, focusing on the same intention at the same time, sharing emotional states. One of our 12 senses, <laughs> original 12 senses, is the ability to telepathically communicate. 
a couple of weeks ago, I um, asked Dr. James Hart, the founder of the BioCyberNet Institute in Germany, who are doing neurofeedback. What happens? Have they measured what happens when two or more people are focusing on the same thing at the same time? And he, these scientists, used the phrase that, yes, there is an instantaneous quantum entanglement and a telepathic communication between the participants. And the energy exchange is the number of the participants raised to the power of the participants, which means that one person's energy compared to 10 people's energy is the equivalent of one to a billion. That is exponential energy growth, which means that if 10 of us were to come together, focusing on the same thing at the same time, we are a billion times more energetically powerful than just one of us doing the work. That's the underlying reason behind world meditations and people coming together because space-time is non-linear and the illusion of distance does not actually separate us. So we can be at the other side of the world. All we need to do is come together in thought and emotion. And we have power. We have access to energies that separately we are just not capable of accessing. And it is very careful design. It's like pieces of a puzzle being equally distributed to all of us. We all have unique skills and talents that we can bring together, share, and create something that is larger than the sum of us. So by being able to focus on the same thing, channel the same information, it breaks down the illusion of being separate, the illusion of competition, the need for a competition, because none of us need to be the first one, none of us need to be the only one. We are much better off if we come together and share in harmony. Wow, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we are, as you said there, we are so powerful. I mean, there's that, that saying, I think it's, um, you are more powerful than you know, and they fear the day that you recognize it. We're coming towards the end of this podcast now, but it'd be, it'd be really good to, to leave the listeners with some skills or advice as to how they can shift through some of this stuff or, you know, how they can learn to connect with themselves or, what they can do to, to help either themselves or the collective consciousness at this time. And I know we've mentioned the, you know, the world meditation there. And, um, you know, may, may, maybe you could, uh, maybe you could give our listeners a few meditation tips. And, and as it's been all about ascension science here today, like maybe you can again talk a little bit about the science behind meditation. I touched upon it very briefly before that our cells communicate with each other with electromagnetic information. Just as we human beings are electromagnetic beings, this planet is an electromagnetic entity. It has its own magnetic, electromagnetic field. So the same way as we categorize our 
brain waves into different bands of frequency. The frequency bands of Earth's electromagnetic field correspond to a human's electromagnetic field. So communication is always a two-way communication. When the, for me, the beauty of human beings is that we have our animal part, which gives us the flexibility to move around, make decisions, to come together, to separate, to experiment. If you compare this physical body with its complexity and flexibility to the physical body of a static planet that has its own sprawls and universal movements, we have much more flexibility. So when we come together and decide to use this body to anchor energies that are at such high frequency, such pure power that they can heal any distortion in our DNA template, that we have the ability to change and heal the electromagnetic template, the electromagnetic grid work of this planet as well. So when we heal ourselves, when we meditate, when we find peace, joy, happiness, we don't just heal ourselves, we communicate with this planet and we heal this planet collectively. We are interdependent with this ecosystem, with this mother earth, and the same way as we are getting energy, oxygen, food, nutrition from this planet, we can give nutrition back to the energy field of this planet. If you've never meditated before, meditation has nothing woo-woo to it. The word meditation in the Tibetan language simply means becoming mentally familiar with something, becoming aware of something, becoming accustomed to something. So for me, meditation is like a mental gym. You are training your mental muscles and emotional muscles to be able to focus, isolate certain emotions, get out of the emotional chaos or the mental chatter and streamline your conscious attention and your emotional state. So if you're interested in deeper meditation, I have so much stuff about it online. But if you've never meditated before, then words have the power of creation. And simple words such as love, thank you, joy, are way more powerful than pop songs, let us believe. So I have a very simple practice each and every day, and it's coming from the <laughs> 20 years of depressed background and 
many, many very dark hours of thinking about what's the point of being, what's the meaning of life. Compared to that, I've gathered myself so much so that now each and every morning I genuinely am grateful to be alive. So I start every morning just with a simple sentence, thank you for my life and thank you for these good, good people. That already sets me up to acknowledge that there is something about this life and my life that is worthy, that is meaningful, that is connected, that there is nothing that I have to do, there's no one that I have to be in order to be loved and accepted. The pure fact that I exist is enough to be loved, appreciated, and to be thankful for. So the simple three emotions, the simple three phrases of bringing in more love, joy, and gratitude into your language, they all align you with a more meditative mindset, with a more peaceful and harmonic brainwave. If you're interested in a bit more hardcore meditation, then I would suggest to start experimenting with isolating emotions. Start being a bit more inclusive with the emotions of fear, sadness, anger. There's nothing about fear that you have to be afraid of. There is nothing about anger that you have to push away. There is nothing about sadness that's devastating. You can meditate on specific emotions for you to be able to hear a message from those emotions. Why are they important? Why are they here? Why were they created? And what role are they playing in our lives? If you're just starting out and all you want is a little bit of peace of mind, then I would start with thank you. Thank you for feeling scared. Thank you for not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Thank you for being here at this challenging time. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for existing. Thank you for being you. And you can start having those feelings, generating those feelings of an expanded sense of consciousness. You start looking at a bigger and bigger picture because the more you expand, the closer you're getting to true source that is completely without judgment, completely free, and unimaginably infinite. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Alex, and, and for, you know, sharing a little bit about your personal experience there as well. And, you know, I, I totally agree, you know, and gratitude is, uh, gratitude is one of the most powerful tools. And, um, you know, certainly whenever I've been going through um, dark times, I always start, even if it's very small, you know, I'm grateful for waking up in this comfortable bed, you know, whatever it may be, and building from there. But that that's always been a very powerful tool to 
to help me get out of any dark head spaces. So thank you for sharing that because obviously right now, you know, with everything that's going on and those who maybe, you know, don't understand or don't recognize the ascension process that we're going through and are maybe more in the 3D world where we're stuck in this, you know, in, in, in the lockdown or, um, you know, in the fear that's, that's um, the fear around the virus. And uh, yeah, I think to to really just hone in on what am I grateful for and, you know, especially what, what have I been grateful for in the lockdown as well because I think the lockdown has brought a lot of things for a lot of people and it really has given us that chance to to go within. So whether people have been consciously meditating or whether they've just, you know, um, been inadvertently meditating by just having that little bit of quiet time that they're not used to, I think these things are, you know, very, very powerful, very powerful tools for us to, to use right now. And uh, you mentioned that you mentioned that you've got information on your website with regards to meditating. So uh, just let the listeners know at home. I will um, I'll make sure that I put uh, Alex's website into the show notes. So I, do, I guess I've just got one final question before we close the podcast. But you know, obviously it has been challenging for people right now. And one of the things that we're saying as part of this ascension process is that people need to start challenging everything, everything that they know, everything that they believe. Um, you know, everything that they are, which is, which is tough. <laughs> it's a tough ask. So, you know, what are your thoughts on how people can start to challenge all, all that they know? Get comfortable with being very quiet because right now there is a very high chance that your thoughts are not your thoughts. Your feelings are not your feelings. You don't own them. You didn't generate them. You have been accepting them. You have been energetically sensitive to them. You have been embracing them as yours. Some of them are harmless, free-floating thoughts in the collective consciousness, such as pop songs and jingles. And others are very consciously placed ultrasound and ultra low frequency thought forms and emotional patterns that can feel like they are physically resonating within your body. There are technologies that are physically capable of making you feel that certain energies are coming from inside your own body, from inside your own mind. There is nothing woo-woo to it. We are genuinely capable of telepathy. We are genuinely capable of deep empathy. So we have this interconnectedness. And because we are not aware of it, those channels can be used for implanting information that is not in our best interest. So start getting very, very quiet. And um, instead of looking for the easy answer, the quick fix, the instant gratification, the addictive behaviors, just stay there and do nothing for a second or a half an hour, or two hours, or the entire day. Just sit there, lie there in peace and silence until 
a very, very deep sense of inner knowing finds you because those are the forces, those are the energetic vibrations that cannot be breached, that cannot be hijacked because they are vibrationally higher dimensional than artificial forces. So getting very familiar with who you are when you're not listening to anybody else but yourself is a very good start to understand not just more about you, but more about this entire world. How has it been and how it's going to be from now on? Yeah, I mean, there is no quick fix. Like, we have to do the work. There's just so much fear that's being pumped into our into our vibration right now. And as you said earlier there, Alex, you know, there's, there's two choices, really. There's love or there's fear. So um, there's a saying about the wolf, you know, it's like um, whichever one you decide to feed is the one that grows. Um, and so, yeah, right now, you know, we really need to be, you know, consciously just kind of coming together in love, um, but also sitting in our own love and allowing ourselves to feel the, you know, the energy of love instead of the energy of fear. But that doesn't mean that we should be, um, you know, spiritually bypassing. You know, if we are feeling fear, we, you know, we need to work through that as well. But you really need to sit with it in that silence, as you were just saying there, and say, does this fear belong to me or is this something that is being, you know, given to me? It's sitting with the two, allowing yourself to experience what you need to experience, but really sort of working to find that place of love within you. So, yeah, thank you so much, Alex, for joining me on this podcast. I, I knew it was going to be an interesting one off the back of all the, uh, the very interesting conversations that you and I have already had. So, yeah, thanks so much for giving your time to this podcast. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, I, I really enjoyed it too. And it's, it's been so interesting to to hear what I understand spiritually be put into like a more scientific language. So thanks again, Alex. And uh, I really look forward to meeting you in Ibiza very soon. And so it seems that our journey into the divine wisdom of our universe has come to a close for today. There is still much to be learned and much to be seen, but we must all come together in our openness, in our willingness, and in our abundance of creative wealth as we start to bring our gifts and skills to the roundtable community that must be achieved in order for us to create peace and harmony on this planet. As we come together in love and in understanding, the laws of the universe naturally start to flow in a way that will connect us to all that is true in our world. The power of love cannot be underestimated and will break through all that is false and all that has been manipulated. We are nearly there now. It won't be long. It is true that there is still much fear, hate and anger in this world. But as I have said before, all that is needed is love. As we slowly, slowly start to break free of the chains of manipulation that have gripped at our feet for so very long, we start to reconnect with our hearts. And as the vibration of love takes a hold of us, all that we can do is soar. All that we can do is connect to the oneness and all that we can do is ascend. There is nothing that can be done to stop this now, so please release any fear from your minds. As, as you have seen here today, the energy of fear can only serve to perpetuate a dark agenda that is to be undone. Whilst the energy of love will connect us with vibrations of power that we have been unable to feel until now. A new day is dawning, a new way of life is coming. 
Be ready and open to receive all that you can receive and to be all that you can be. For all that you can be is greatness and all that you can receive is love.